This morning, uh, this morning, I just want to spend a little bit of time looking at what it means to reach for the kingdom of God. And um, I want to start by, there's a, a YouTube clip that many of you uh, may be familiar with. Uh, it was, uh, it's a clip of an interview that was done in 1995 uh, with the late, great John Wimber. And uh, it was done by the ABC. Uh, I have no idea what program it was on, but it was done by the ABC, that's all I can tell you. And it was an interview with John uh, at, uh, at a time in which the vineyard was uh, growing in sense of its uh, visibility in the world uh, and also uh, its strangeness because it never really been seen before. And, um, and what happens in the course of this clip, you can go on there on YouTube, you put in ABC John Wimber, it'll pop up, you can watch it, it only goes for a couple of minutes. But during the course of this interview, uh, it's a great interview and I'm not sure whether it's the astuteness of the interviewer or whether he was given this or not, but at, at a moment, I'm kind of guessing that it's what he was confronted with when he first stepped into Anaheim, uh, he, he was obviously he was at, at the Anaheim Vineyard which is where uh, John and Carol were. And um, and he's as he walks in, I'm, I'm guessing this is what happened. As he walks in, he he comments as they're kind of showing different footage and scenes of a Sunday service, and uh, and they, he makes this statement that kind of just popped out and hit me in the face. And he says, "Where Willow Creek say sit down and relax, the vineyard says stand up and reach out." Where Willow Creek says sit down and relax, the vineyard says stand up and reach out. Now, just quickly, that's no shot at Willow Creek. God bless Willow Creek and they, everything that they're doing advance the kingdom of God. We're not Willow Creek. And as this guy walks into Vineyard Anaheim and he looks around, he notices that these are a bunch of people who aren't content to just sit in a chair and relax and escape the big bad world out there. I'm not saying that's what Willow Creek do either. But that's just not who we are. And he's noticed that this is a bunch of people who get up and reach out towards each other with the great news that the kingdom of God is at hand and they expect to see it happen. And I remember hearing that and I was like, that's probably the best way in short version that I've ever heard who we are as a people in the earth. We're people who just stand up and reach out unapologetically, and unashamedly, we keep doing it. But what are we reaching for? We're reaching for kingdom breakthrough. We're reaching for the, the, the goodness of God to break into people's lives, to touch those who are hurting, to touch the sick, to touch the injured, to touch those caught in bondage, to caught, touch those caught in addiction, to touch those who are just doing it tough in life and who are desperate to see change. Change in them, change in their surroundings, change in every area of life. And that's what we're reaching for. We're reaching for this good news of the kingdom of God. And essentially, the kingdom is not a place. The kingdom is a person. The kingdom is a person, and namely Jesus. He is the king. And it's his rule and reign. It's his goodness that touches people. And what does that look like? It looks like the blind seeing. It looks like the deaf hearing. It looks like those who are injured becoming well. It looks like those who are oppressed by demonic forces being set free. It looks like when people are under addictive behaviours, their lives being completely turned around and changed. It looks like 
families being restored, marriages being restored. This is what it looks like when the kingdom breaks through. Lives are changing and that's what we're reaching for. That's who we are as a people. It's built into our DNA. It's our inheritance. It's who we are. And so often uh, I catch myself in this and sometimes it's, it's unhelpful when we do this. We talk about the kingdom and it's really not the kingdom, it's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's Jesus' rule and reign. It's He's the King. He's the one who's advancing His kingdom. And you know, excuse me. I had a wonderful introduction to that in this place. As a young bloke, I was 18 years old. I didn't know anything. I mean, my family were Christmas Eve Catholics. We showed up once a year and, um, and got out of there pretty quickly. And, um, I didn't know nothing. And, uh, I had a wonderful encounter with Jesus. I had a wondering encounter with this bloke who now looks like a bald, crazy man with this big beard. Um, where is he? Oh, he's barbecuing. Oh, there he is. Hey, no, no, no. I don't want to see that beard. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. And anyways, I showed up here as an 18-year-old and had a wonderful encounter with Jesus. And my first introduction to being part of these people who stand up and reach came about two weeks into it, probably my second or third time here. Uh, it was at a time when uh, Dave and Carol were still uh, uh, the, the senior pastors who were just transitioning uh, in, the, in the changeover, I believe it was just about to get set into motion. And um, so I knew who Dave was as far as I was concerned. He was the priest because I didn't know any better. And um, I just rocked up in my boardies and see, I'm a bit more cleaned up these days. I got jeans on. I just rocked up in my boardies and my, my t-shirt. And, um, and anyways, uh, in that time, in that space of a couple of weeks, uh, I'd received a lot of prayer, a lot of people laying hands on me and, and praying for me, and I was encountering Jesus, and my life was being turned around, and it was wonderful. And, uh, you know, and I'd, I'd come to church, and the worship was phenomenal. Uh, I didn't know it was worship at that point, but you know, it was just great. Uh, I was meeting Jesus in that. Uh, and then, uh, and then they break for coffee and come back and the messages were great. And then they do this really weird thing. And they do this thing called ministry time. And I did not know what that was about. That was, that was the strangest thing I'd ever seen. And, um, and so what I would do is, uh, David given me, uh, a Bible. And so what I would do is I'd crack that thing open and I'd just sit there and I'd look up. I'd make it look like I was reading my Bible. And I'd just look up and go, what are they doing? And um, I'm not sure whether Big D caught me or not having a glance, but uh, Big D walks past, he taps me on the shoulder and he says, come with me. And I went, oh no. I'd been here for a couple of weeks, I knew I'd done something wrong. And he drags me down the front, well he didn't drag me, he just said, come with me. And I come down the front and uh, thinking that I was in trouble and he said, here, put your hand here. It was actually probably about where we're standing now, to be honest. Uh, he says, put your hand on this guy. And I'm like, okay, that's better than being in trouble. I'll put my hand there. And I don't remember, and I think this is a good thing, but I don't remember who it was that we were praying for. I don't remember who was there. I remember what Jesus did. And, um, and, and right there, there wasn't a great deal that happened, but they were just, in, in the, initially, I put my hand there and then, uh, and then these folks around, this person start saying things to this person. And the next thing, this person starts crying. And I went, oh no, they've upset them. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I realized that I'm in a moment that 
I had been on the receiving end of for the first two weeks that I was here. And all of a sudden I realized I'm on the other end of this thing now. And I was like, oh, this is what, this is the way it works. So I don't just get to receive this stuff. I get to be a part of it. I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't. But, um, you know, there was, uh, for about a year after that, every time there was somebody praying for somebody, I wanted to be involved. I didn't pray for anybody for probably the first 12 months, but I just wanted to be in there because I was like, this is cool. God's doing stuff. And I just wanted to be in the middle of it. And so right from the very beginning, I was kind of thrust into that. And I hope that that's been similar to your journey and your experience here because this is who we are. This is who we are. We won't hold back on it and we'll continue to press in and keep reaching for the good news of the kingdom to break in. So this morning we're going to have a look at uh, at, at the, the book of Ephesians. Uh, Kirk's been doing a wonderful job of leading us through uh, through the book of Ephesians. And uh, so I just want to uh, pick up on some of Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians and how it is that we can put some things into practice uh, in, in our own lives to, uh, to help us uh, engage with this wonderful reality that we are a people in the earth who are called to stand up and reach out. And what does that look like? So we're going to have a look at a bit of scripture first uh, and then, uh, and then some, some practical realities of how we as a people can continue to, to step into that. Now, one of the things before we, uh, before we get too deep into this, uh, Kirsch just done a wonderful job of, of helping, to, helping us uh, understand the, uh, the, the realities and the context in which Paul's writing uh, to, uh, to the church in Ephesus. And uh, if you know anything about biblical interpretation or the fancy word for it is exegesis, that uh, the three most important words in any type of biblical interpretation are context, context, and can you guess the next one? Context. It's all about context. Greek and Hebrew are important, but if you don't have the context, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and there are uh, multiple, and that's a multi-dimensional reality to context. There's, there's multiple uh, layers of context. There's historical context, the historical context of the moment. There's a historical context in terms of the place in history that, uh, that, that things are happening. There's, there's the context uh, both uh, politically and socially, there's there's great uh, there's there's multifaceted realities when it comes to context, uh, and there's uh, there's what's called micro and macro level uh, context. So there's the micro level of what's going on in the very moment uh, that that's, that that piece of writing is being written into, and there's a macro reality that extends beyond uh, just what's happening there in that moment. It might extend out to the entire city. It might extend out. Uh, beyond that to the, the entire empire at that place and, and what's going on around it. And so one of the things that, uh, that we've got to understand when we, uh, when we begin to engage with the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, is that what's happening in Ephesus at the time, uh, at least over a two-year period that we know of that Paul spent there, possibly longer, but we'll just stick with the two years that we know Paul was there for, um, it was the greatest move of God in the early church. It wasn't just a move of God, it was the greatest move of God in the early church. Now, God was moving in places like Philippi and, and Galatia and, and, and even in the ancient Las Vegas of Corinth, God was moving there. But in Ephesus was the, the, the major breakout of, uh, 
of kingdom activity and the power of the Holy Spirit. So much so that when Luke writes about it uh, in, uh, in, in Acts 19, he says that, uh, that God was doing extraordinary miracles. Now what's interesting is, is that there, that when, uh, Luke writes that, he writes, uh, he, the, the Greek that he writes is poeu u dunamis. A, a better rendering of that might be, he was, there was, uh, God was doing creative displays of power. They weren't just little moves. God was doing creative displays of power amongst the Ephesians, amongst the Ephesians. And so the, the, uh, the English translators have grabbed hold of that and they've said he was just, he was doing extraordinary miracles. But what was happening was power. Power. Uh, now I want you to hold on to that. Poyeu u dunamis. And the, the thing that's amazing about that is that God never does the same thing twice. Never does the same thing twice. Ever. There's a creative nature and creative streak to the person of God that he never does the same thing twice. And that's why uh, now, just as much as any time, uh, I couldn't be any more excited because we live in a time where God is doing something that he's never done before. I don't know what that is, but I can't wait for it. I just want to step into it because it's creative and it's new and it's different. And one of the most amazing things that I began to learn all those years back when I started laying hands on people and trying to work out how you do this is that it's never the same. You can pray for somebody, you can pray for 10 broken legs, you pray for 100 broken legs and they're all different. The break's different, how it happens different, everything's different and how God heals it is different. Every time, uh, and it's and it's exciting. It's always exciting. But if you've got your got your Bibles there, open them up to Ephesians two and verse ten. It's up on the screen there. If you've got your your apps or uh, or whatever it is, this is out of the ESV, the extra spiritual version. Um, so you can flick it over on your apps if you need to, or you know you can you know just go and buy a real Bible like an ESV if you need to, or you can come borrow one of these. How cool is this? I noticed this a couple of weeks. I only noticed a couple of weeks ago. That's how astute I am. Um, you can come borrow one of those. It's up on the screen, anyways. Paul writes this. He says, "For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them." That's nice, isn't it? That's nice. We're his workmanship. Here's where we see the creative thread uh, that's going on in, in Ephesus, the contextual creative thread that's going on in that, that whole city at that time and that Paul is trying to encourage and exhort them to keep going, keep pressing and keep reaching for this creative reality of the inbreaking uh, power of God uh, amongst them. And he's using specific language to do it. Uh, and he uses this word, poema. Poema is where we get our word poem from. It's where we get our word poem from. And it's a creative work of art. Now, I'm not a poet. I'm not into poetry. Uh, I, just not. Uh, some of you might be. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's a creative genre. 
all, all writing is creative, I guess, but it's, it's incredibly creative, the idea of poems and, and, and authoring poems. Uh, and again, not every poem is different. There are multi, multiple different kinds of poems that can be written at any time. But each poem, so each person, and this is what Paul is, uh, is trying to communicate here, each one of us, his workmanship, have been expertly created with the skill of the tradesman creator and no two are alike. Just as every experience that they were experiencing of the inbreaking power of God, none of those were different, so are the people who are engaged in it. We are all unique. We are all unique. There is only one Bruce Dixon. Is Maeve here? Is she next door? She was amazing this morning. Where is she? Maeve, you are outstanding, sweetheart. Well done. Keep going. There's only one Les Munt. Thank God. No, I'm kidding, Les. We love you, mate. We love you. <laughs> we love you. There's only one of each of us, and we have all been uniquely and creatively made perfect. Perfect. And no two are alike. And in fact, this word poema, it's only used twice in Scripture. Uh, and, and the other time that it's used is uh, Paul uses at the beginning of Romans in uh, Romans uh, 1 in, in the, I think it's the 20th verse, to put it up there, 20th verse, uh, where he's talking about uh, the created order. He's talking about how God has knit all of creation together so that man is without excuse because he's, he's engrafted in all of creation around us. I was, uh, I was out running with my dog Bear um, this morning uh, out in the bush and uh, enjoying the heat and the humidity and the smell of the trees and the, it was all still around after the storms a couple of nights ago and I was just hit with this reality of, wow, there is no place like this and there is nothing like, uh, like, like nature in, uh, in, in everything. The way God has put all things together, the way that he's hung the stars in space and hung the planets in space, just like a, a bauble on a Christmas tree, now, in my house, that's a big deal. That's a serious creative effort, the Christmas tree. We don't mess with the Christmas tree in my house. I do the Christmas tree in my house. It's the only thing that I get really creative on, and it's, I love doing it. But the way that God hung those things in space, the way that if you're familiar with uh, the Louis Giglio series, there was a series that was done a, a number of years back, Indescribable and How Great Is Our God. And you know, he goes all the way out into space and he comes into the really small stuff. And it's like the, the intricacies of the Creator as he's, uh, as he's put together uh, put together the universe in which we live in and put us together is amazing. And uh, isn't it funny that we call it creation? Done by the Creator. And so God is orchestrating these awesome, awesome creative moments of power in Ephesus. Uh, and here Paul is reminding them that they too, just like you and I, are unique participants in God's creative narrative that he's handwritten. It's been handwritten by the, by the, uh, the, by the master craftsman. He's handwriting every moment. Every, every moment that we step into, he's handcrafting that. And Paul's using this language to help convey that. And he's saying that we are part of that too, the people in Ephesus, and, and so we, uh, we are also part of that. And, you know, and it gets even better because specifically and contextually, uh, he, Paul then goes on 
and he says, uh, we are his workmanship and we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, but we've been created in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? When do we get created in Christ Jesus? We get created in Christ Jesus when we come to faith in him. It's when we, when we stand before him and say, I believe you are who they say you are, Jesus. I trust you with all of my life. I believe that you lived, that you died, that you rose again and that you are now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father and that you are ruling and reigning with absolute supremacy. There is no one above you and everything below you. You are the king and you are my king. And at that time, we become created in Christ Jesus. At that point, we become, the scripture says, at that point, we have been given the right to become the children of God at that point. And so we've been created in Christ Jesus, this kingdom reality that's been initiated when we come to faith uh, and, and come out from under the rule and reign of the enemy and place ourselves under the generous rule of God. When, uh, when that happens, when we've done that, uh, we, we, uh, we've been created uh, by Christ Jesus for good works, for good works. And uh, and what works are they if we've been created in Christ Jesus? Well, they're Jesus' works. They're Jesus' works that we've been created for. They're the things that he's done, not the stuff that we can do. There's an element of that as, uh, as the reality of Jesus continues to change who we are and, and, and bring us to life that uh, regardless of where we find ourselves in our workplaces and vocations, the creative element of God will come through all of that and should come through all of that so that we as the followers of Jesus should be leading the way in every area of innovation, in every area of development, in every area of, uh, of transformation in workplaces, in schools, everywhere. We're the ones who should be leading the way in that because we have been created in Christ Jesus and have the creative reality and the creative power of God flowing through us and working with us as we engage in our surroundings. Kirk reminded us a couple of weeks ago that Paul's not talking about morality here. Paul's not talking about being good people, although that's a good thing. Uh, but that's the result of the change that happens inside of us. All of a sudden we lose the taste for those things that have gripped our lives beforehand. Uh, and the, the works that we're, we're being welcomed into, they're the creative works of God uh, that we as his ambassadors in the earth, partnering hand in hand, reaching with Jesus as he advances his kingdom in the earth uh, and uh, his good rule and reign touches every heart and mind and we get to be the people that see and stand in awe, just stand in awe of his creative power as he changes the things around us. As, uh, as blind eyes see, as the deaf hear, as those who are caught in demonic oppression are released, as life returns to a city, just like it did in Ephesus. Life returned to a city, and that whole city was changed. That whole city was changed. They were people, and Paul's exhorting them in this place, in this time, to stand up and reach out. For God's sake, whatever you do, keep standing up and keep reaching out, is Paul's exhortation to them. Now, I was starting to get a little bit fancy on this, and I tried to get fancy on it, and uh, I thought, we, we're not really big into formulas in the vineyard. We, don't, we try to keep away from formulas and that, and I thought, I'm going to be really clever here, and I'm going to come up with a formula. And um, 
not that was, you know, foolproof or anything like that, that I was hoping was going to be helpful. And as I started to put this formula together, I went, oh, that's actually an anagram. So I'll go with that. And hopefully it's helpful. Um, it's going to change for me. I've turned it off. Right. Here. Here equals kingdom breakthrough. Here. When we're here, the kingdom breaks in. No, that's not it. Um, H, hunger. Hunger. Here's some things that we can put into place and that, uh, that I believe is inherent both in what Paul's talking about and, and, and uh, that you can find throughout the entire scripture, not just in the New Testament, but in the entire scripture to help us be a people who can continue to stand up and reach out because we want to continue to be those people. We want to be people in the earth who, uh, who, who see change happen around us uh, because of Jesus and because we're so closely knit to him that his kingdom is breaking through all around us. Hunger. Hunger's... Uh, wasn't that great this morning? The way God was moving and the Holy Spirit was doing his thing and there's a whole bunch of hungry people in here. Come on. There's a bunch of hungry people in here. And the thing I love about hunger is that hunger is not some super spiritual event. It's not something that just woo, happens to us. You don't just like get a get a get a shot at what is it? A dose of the ghost. I hate that. Um, yeah, you, know, you get a yeah that that sort of thing. And yeah, you know, there's uh, there's a, a bunch of feet, folk. God bless them, but running around looking for the anointing. And um, hey, I just want to be where Jesus is. Um, but uh, hunger. Hunger is one of those things uh, that cannot be given to you by anybody else. Uh, it comes through a series of intentional choices, intentional choices to trust Jesus and to live your life openly pursuing our good King. They're intentional choices. That's how you get hungry. You choose, yes, I want in. Yes, I'm going to choose to go forward and pray with somebody today at church and at work or wherever. I'm going to choose to step into this moment knowing that Jesus is with me. I'm going to choose to not look with the eyes and the perspectives of the people around me, but with a perspective that's fixed on heaven that says that the kingdom of God is breaking in all around me at the moment and I want to be in that. I want to see what you're doing and I want to help others see that so that we can enter into it together. It's a perspective thing. And so hunger only stays when we continue to make those choices. When we start to give our choices to others and to other things, that hunger in our lives begins to wane. That hunger in our lives begins to drop off. I've experienced that. I'm sure that we've all experienced that. Because we're all learning and we're all growing in this and it's okay. <laughs> and so if you're in one of those places where you're sitting here and you know, during worship you, your mind was wandering to the things of the, the week that's been and the thing, wing things of the week to come and you're finding it really hard just to engage with Jesus at that point, it's okay. It's okay. But just know that Jesus is here and he wants to welcome you to get hungry again. But you need to choose it. You need to choose it. You need to say, I want to be hungry, Lord. Help me to be hungry. Help me to make those choices. Empower me to make those choices, Holy Spirit. So that's H. E is expectation. Expectation. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and I've actually, I've, uh, I've used this, uh, this, this story from the scripture probably 
three or four times in different places over the last three years because uh, it's one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite occasions and stories in the scripture is Second uh, Chronicles 20. Uh, in Second Chronicles 20, King Jehoshaphat um, he's at a time and a moment where he's uh, he's well really he, he's majorly screwed up. And, um, and what he's done, uh, it's at the time of the divided kingdom. There's, the, there's Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Uh, Israel was uh, predominantly led by a bunch of really bad kings. And at the time of Jeho- Jehoshaphat's rule, it was actually led by probably the worst uh, in Ahab. And uh, Ahab calls his brother up, calls his brother up, and his brother Jehoshaphat, and they, they enter into, a, into an agreement and they go off to fight uh, these, uh, the, I can't remember who it is actually, but some other folks up in the north. Uh, and in the process of doing it, they do that and they do that against the instructions of the Lord. They decide we're going to go up and kick these guys' butts and they do it against the, the leading of the Lord. And in the process, they get their butts kicked and uh, Ahab dies. Ahab gets killed at that point. And uh, so Jehoshaphat comes back home licking his wounds, realizes that he's majorly screwed up and goes about reforming uh, all of Judah. And he starts pulling down all the poles and, and, and trying to get everybody because he realizes that he's messed up. And he realizes the nature of the covenant. And he realizes that because he messed up, he's now inviting uh, a, you know, some pretty serious realities upon his people and upon himself. Uh, and so he's busy at work doing all of that. And all of a sudden he gets word that there are three tribes from the southwest who have decided that they're going to come up and attack Judah. And he's like, oh no. And he's got nothing left. They've, they've, they've been routed uh, just recently in that war with Ahab. They've got nothing left. And Jehoshaphat and all of the people go into the temple uh, and there's this amazing moment where Jehoshaphat just stands before the Lord and before all his people and he says, oh Lord, he reminds God of who he is. I like that. He reminds God of who he is. You're a good God. You're gracious. You're loving. Um, you made this covenant with, with us and we're kind of leaning on that one now. And, um, and he says, but the reality, God, is we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And at that moment, our eyes are on you. Um, everything changes. Everything changes. Our eyes are on you, he says. And... Uh, and then uh, the, the, the word of the Lord comes, uh, the word of God comes and, uh, and says, go out to meet this invading army of which they are ridiculously outnumbered. And they, uh, they, go, out, uh, they go out to face this, this invading army. And, you, you know, reality is, is they must have been frightened. They, they've had the word from the Lord, but in our humanity, that's still scary. And they go out and they march from Jerusalem down to, uh, down to En Gedi, I think. And as they march down, it's 13 kilometers, 13 kilometers from Jerusalem all the way down. And for 13 kilometers, they march and they sing this song. The, 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 the worshippers go ahead and they sing this song. And they sing this song, which in Hebrew is just four words. And it's Yada Adonai. Chesed Olam. They sing over and over for 13 kilometers. For 13 kilometers, they just sing that over and over and over and over. Uh, and, uh, and what that means uh, in, in English, how about that? I can say it in Hebrew. I've got to look at my notes for the English. Uh, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Now that's expectation. 
expectation is not this super spiritual event where we turn into the Hulk and some sort of superhero. Expectation is when we're just sometimes quaking in our boots and we're going, I'm just going to step into this anyways. Because God, you're good. Because God, you're good. The expectation is fully centered on him and not on our reality that we're stepping into. It's centered on who he is. And that's what these guys did. And I think that's just a wonderful story. Uh, oh, the, the end of the story is, is they, they get over the hill and just as they're about to get to the invading army, they get up over the hill and the entire three armies are wiped out. Wiped out. And I can't remember the exact time frame, but I think it's three days. It took three days to, to pick up all the plunder and take it back to Jerusalem. They didn't even have to fire a shot or raise a sword in the day. They didn't have to do anything. And they've marched from 13, for 13 kilometres singing that song, quaking in their boots. I'm sure they would have been. Anybody who reads that story and thinks that they were some kind of spiritual hero, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I, I, really, I don't think it says that and I don't think that's inherent in the story. So that's expectation. Expectation isn't a super spiritual event either. Expectation is a choice. Expectation is, expectation is a choice to say, I'm going to choose to believe, God, that you are who you say you are, that your kingdom is at hand, and I'm going to reach for it. Because that's what those guys did. They reached for it at that point. And that's what reaching looks like in that context. A, the A in here is authority. One of the things that's really interesting is that the, the name that's on the door up top there is, uh, is, uh, Oh, it's Finney Christian Fellowship Pointers, isn't it? I was actually looking for church then, but that's all right. That's not the name that's on the door. We are a church, though. We call ourselves the church. Jesus gave us that name, the church. Now, when you think about it, and again, when you look at it contextually, that's a really odd thing to do for Jesus to call us a church because he's a Jew. He's Hebrew and he's a rabbi. And the followers of a rabbi, uh, the school is called a Talmudim. So we should be Vineyard Pioneer of his Talmudim, not Vineyard, well, we call ourselves Christian Fellowship, but we shouldn't be called a church. It's an interesting, a different thing that Jesus has picked up on. And uh, the reality is, is a Talmudim is a place where uh, students or disciples would come to be trained by the rabbi and, and, and become like their rabbi. Because Jesus is a rabbi, because Jesus is the Messiah, that is all inherent in who we are. But he chooses to give us this name, church. The, the name church, uh, or ecclesia, uh, in its context, in its context of Jesus' day, came about about five centuries beforehand at the height of, uh, of Greek civilization is what we call when democracy was birthed. And essentially what happened was the, the ruling powers, the ruling governments of the day would, would call people, would call a group of people from the community uh, and they would, they would grab a, a group of people and they would call them an ecclesia and they would bring them in uh, and they would say, right, you six folks here, there's this town over here that's just an awful shambles. You guys go over there and you guys go bring about change in that, that space. They were like the, they were like a committee, essentially, a, a government committee that would go, that was empowered to go and bring change in the community. Um, it, it, I don't know what it looks like today, but, so I can't give you an example of it. But, um, essentially, they were people who were called out of ordinary life and they were given extraordinary authority to go and wield that authority and bring about change in the community. Inherent in our name, the church, when God, when, well, God did, Jesus did, 
same dude, he gave us that name church. He gave us that name ecclesia. And the reason, I think it's an incredibly pointed moment because he said, you're the church. You've been given authority to go and create change in the world, to go and disciple all nations and bring change in the earth. And I'm giving you that authority to now go and do it. You have that authority. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you just flick back to the back, to the last verse in, uh, in Ephesians chapter one there, uh, Paul then, uh, also picks up on this and he says, uh, do, 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 do. I'm in the wrong space. Okay. He says, and he put, and he, that, that is God, he put all things under his feet, that's Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I stole this from Ken Fish, so I'm just going to do this. If, if God has placed all things under Jesus, under Jesus' feet, for the church, which is his body, therefore we are Jesus' body, Pretend I'm Jesus. It's, it might be a stretch. Pretend I'm Jesus. All things are under His feet. And we as the body are in Jesus. All things are placed under our feet. We have been her- inherently given authority. This is how the kingdom breaks through. When we as a people recognize understand and live from a perspective of the authority given to us and we see things that are wrong in the earth and we reach for the kingdom of God in that moment and see change. We've been given... I'm going to get down from here now. And here's the last one. I'm going to finish with this. We reach out. That was pretty anticlimactic, wasn't it, really? Um, We reach out. We're people who reach out. In... uh, if you've got your Bibles, just flick to Luke 17 real quick. I think an app is much quicker in terms of changing things. You know, flip all these pages. I love my Bible though. Luke 17 verses 5 and 6. There's this wonderful story. Uh, it says they're starting in verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, that's Jesus, they said, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Don't you love Jesus? Come to us, they come to him and they say, increase our faith, and he gives them a story. <laughs> we want more faith. Here's the story. <laughs> what Jesus is saying is, uh, if you've just don't worry about getting more faith. Start putting the faith that you've got into action. Start putting the faith that you've got into action. If you've just got this tiny little bit, it's enough to move trees. It's enough to make things move. It's enough to step into the realities of the inbreaking kingdom. You don't need more. Just use what you got. Whether that's heaps or whether that's just a little bit. Whether you're a 60-year veteran with Jesus or whether you're a six-minute-old veteran with Jesus. That's not really a veteran, but that's all right. It doesn't matter. Whatever faith level you've got, begin to use that and it will grow. Begin to use that and it will grow. You don't need more faith. You just need to put into action what you have to see great things happen. And it will grow. 
the world is crying out for a people who will reach. We can't argue our way there. We can't persuade them. And just very quickly, that word persuade that's used in the scripture, that word, that word persuade, when Paul goes in and he persuades these people, he's not entering into Greek rhetoric with them. He's not entering into debate with them. What he's doing is he's giving a presentation of the reality of the kingdom of God. He's, just, he's, he's saying that, the, that, that Jesus is the king and that the kingdom of God is at hand and he's demonstrating that because he writes to the Corinthians and he says, it's not with wise and persuasive words that I came but with a demonstration of the spirit and with power that I came. He doesn't go in and persuade them with his words. He tells them that the kingdom of God is at hand and then he demonstrates that reality. That word persuaded means that uh, it's actually not, not so much about Paul, it's about what happens in the person. There's a change that happens in that person, that the ownership of that word isn't on Paul, it's on that person who's received the reality of the kingdom and who has had a change of heart. It's, uh, it's a word that's it's closely linked to metanoia, which is the... the uh, Repentance or the changing of, of your, uh, your thinking, your perspective. The world doesn't need us to argue with them. The world doesn't need us to tell them what's what. The world needs us to say the kingdom is here and the king is here. Here he is. You want to meet him. He's good. He's kind. He loves you. He loves us. And he wants to be a good king. And that's who we are. We're people who reach out and reach for the kingdom. Would to God that there would be a people on the earth who would do this. And I guess it might as well be us. It might as well be us. Not just here, but in every sphere, in every area of life, we reach and we reach and we reach. And no matter what's happening, we keep reaching we keep reaching and we keep reaching. Come what may, come what may, we're going to keep reaching. The world can fall apart. Our lives can fall apart. There can be all sorts of disaster around us, but would to God, we're just going to keep reaching. And the guy who taught me more about that than any person on the face of the planet is a guy cooking sausages out there, Dave Hockey. He is my hero. He is my hero. Not just because he led me to faith, but because I've seen that guy walk some terrible circumstances. And he just keeps reaching. He won't give up. He keeps reaching. Through all of the disappointment, through all of the pain, through all of the junk that life has thrown at him, that the enemy has thrown at him, it's not life, that the enemy has thrown at him. And the guy keeps reaching. And I look at him every time. And he's not much to look at, but he, he just keeps reaching. He just keeps reaching. I want to be like that. I want to be like that because I'm going to stand in front of you and confess I'm not like that a lot of the time. I'm not like that. I want to be like that. And the world is waiting for a bunch of people who want to be like that. Who will just lay everything down. Who will continue to choose Jesus. Who will continue to reach and put themselves in vulnerable places because their God is good and His kingdom is at hand. His kingdom is at hand.